Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me today is Justine Bone, the CEO of MedSec, uh, coming uh, to us from Miami. Uh, Justine, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Dominic. It's uh, plenty hot down here, and I know the rest of the country is not really like this, so <laughs> I'm appreciating it. <laughs> well, that's good. We're, we're here in, in Vancouver and it's uh, another cold, miserable day here, but uh, I'm glad that you're warm and, and happy. That, hey, uh, I, I, hope you're staying, for a fun I, conversation. I hope you're staying dry. I hear there's a little bit of flooding going on in your... Yes, it's, uh, it's, been, a, it's, been, it's been wet here, uh, more so than <laughs> usual for the Pacific Northwest. But um, you know, we're, well, I'm very excited to be chatting with you today. And um, to start off, I, I'd love to learn more about your background, learn a little bit more about MedSec. Ah, thanks for the opportunity to share, Dominic. Um, once upon a time, I was a technical uh, vulnerability researcher. So I spent the beginning of my career in cybersecurity in uh, reverse engineering and exploit development, and then subsequently penetration testing, sort of that first wave, if you like, of that generation in private industry. Um, and, and went into management from there. So I've gone back and forth between large enterprise and the sort of more entrepreneurial space a couple of times. I've spent some time at large institutions as the chief information security officer. In fact, I think of myself as a first generation CISO. Um, back when we kind of didn't know what we were doing and we were sort of figuring it out and we were all very technical and nerdy and hands-on. Um, good to see that industry maturing since then. And these days I, I run a company focused on a singular vertical, focused on the healthcare industry and uh, more, um, more concisely medical devices. So we look at medical device security in the field inside of hospitals and clinical environments. Uh, and we also work with uh, medical device manufacturers who are bringing products to market to, to help make sure that all the, the security bells and whistles are built into these things from the get go. That's fantastic. And, and your use of air quotes was spot on there, by the way. So, uh, <laughs> um, you know, uh, the, the medical field uh, and healthcare sector is, uh, I find, quite, quite fascinating. I mean, um, from a vulnerability perspective, um, you know, th thinking about maybe the um, different healthcare providers and you know, they're creating various technologies, um, has security been at the forefront or is it something which they've sort of seen as a necessary evil? Are they taking security more seriously? Because we're always reading stories about, oh, this pacemaker can now be hacked and all that. Is it something that the industry, at least the, the technology producers within healthcare sector, um, are they taking it more seriously? Absolutely. Um, you know, this is a regulated space. And although we've got a long way to go still in healthcare, and we certainly see that in the field, in these clinical environments, inside of hospitals, we see them being targeted, very um, uh, vulnerable infrastructure. Um, when it comes to the technologies and the products, the medical devices that are coming to market now, you know, as spearheaded by the FDA and others and medical device manufacturers that are really maturing their product security programs, um, there's a lot of attention. There's a lot of requirements that these guys have to go through when they submit to the FDA for approval, demonstrating that, you know, um, 
security by design has been thought of from the get-go. All the documentation is there through the whole chain, through to implementation, threat models, penetration tests, um, plans for maintenance going forward through the life cycle of the medical device. So it's really quite quite a lot uh, that these guys have to go through these days. And so that, that's kind of the good news. The, the sort of the scarier um, scenario remains with the legacy technologies. And unfortunately, these, these medical devices do have a very long lifespan. So you know, 10, 15 years longer inside of a hospital. So it's really the legacy technology um, where, where we're still at our most vulnerable. And, and you raise an interesting point there, Justine, about the legacy technologies. And I suppose even like similar to um, uh, the banking, the large banking institutions, many of which are still running very um, old or leg legacy applications as well. Uh, what are the current sort of techniques or um, sort of opportunities for risk reduction that could happen around legacy systems? Like, uh, are, are hospitals <clears throat> taking the opportunity to reduce risk there, or are they just sort of accepting the risk around legacy applications? So thanks in part, I guess, to the cyber criminals out there who didn't stop when they said they would at the beginning of the pandemic, proceeded to um, hit our healthcare infrastructure really hard with ransomware attacks. Everybody at this point has been sitting up and taking notice. So, you know, even as recent as a couple of years ago, um, where you could argue that the maturity of cybersecurity inside of a, say, a, a small, medium-sized hospital was really, honestly, what we could see in, a, in a, an equivalent bank 20 years ago. That's really evolved. It's gone up to the boardroom. This is a recognized risk at this point. But we've got a long way to go for a few reasons. Um, one is there's a bit of a regulatory gap. And as much as I hate to admit it, regulation does help drive and mature security. So whilst you've got a lot of attention on the manufacturing side from the FDA, when it comes to um, regulating our infrastructure inside of a hospital, we're still very privacy focused. A lot of the thinking, the compliance thinking is around HIPAA compliance. And that's great and all, of course we want to protect our PHI, but when it comes to um, ensuring that there are, are adequate protections around patient safety as it relates to infrastructure such as medical device infrastructure, we've got a little ways to go. Um, there's, a, there's a real um, challenge for us in terms of visibility. So sort of step one, asset inventory, what's on my network and what state is it in? Many CISOs, unfortunately, have a hard time answering that question for a number of reasons. There's a huge problem with shadow IT, first of all. A lot of physicians, you've got academic research hospitals that are, you know, have students and research groups bringing in and connecting um, devices, and you've just got this proliferation of medical devices, just like IoT, um, but, of course, with a potential impact on our actual safety. So you've got hundreds and thousands of different types of devices at different stages of the life cycle and no real um, visibility into what that looks like. You've also got a, a, a history of um, a lack of interoperability and standardization within this infrastructure. So a lot of um, roll your own com communication protocols and um, proprietary communication protocols and um, 
various stages of the use of encryption and authentication and other you know, security best practices. So just a whole lot of diversity as well. Um, you've also got governance challenges inside of hospitals. So what we see is perhaps a newly matured IT organization with a newly placed chief information security officer taking care of all the sort of traditional infrastructure, traditional endpoints, workstations, printers, whatnot. But then you've got clinical engineering and biomed in a totally different separate part of the organization reporting up into the chief medical officer, not the CIO. And they, they, don't, they don't really communicate effectively yet. We see this model a lot. That biomed side is responsible for the medical device infrastructure. So you've got these, the CIO and the CISO over here and you've got Biomed over here and they haven't really figured out how to work together yet. So there's a, real, a little bit of a ways to go in terms of the maturity and the governance around you know, risk management as a, as a strategy and as a program. Um, and then you've got this added complication, if you will, of patient safety and um, uptime and availability as the number one priority. So you can't just take these devices offline. You can't just update them as soon as a patch is available. Uh, there, there's always a risk of a side effect. And because we've got a lot of legacy infrastructure, these devices have a track record of falling over kind of easily, blue screening, rebooting, freezing. If that device is delivering you know, therapy at the time, that's an unacceptable risk for the hospital. So they won't do it. So the thing will sit there running its you know, outdated operating system and therefore remains vulnerable. Um, even things like best practices in our industry, such as within vulnerability management scanning, you know, you take your a regular port scan or a vulnerability scan, an active scan, that's actually seen as a no-no inside of healthcare. You don't do that because the risk of a side effect to the medical device is too great. So we have to sort of come at things in a slightly different way. And companies like MedSec, we've built out this passive scanning infrastructure specifically for, for medical devices so that we can tackle um, visibility in a safe way, minimizing the impact to uptime availability and minimizing a potential negative impact to patient safety. So it, it, special, specialized solutions are required. Right, right. Well, that, that's really interesting, Justine. You know, and, and, you know, you mentioned you know, the concept of patient safety. Um, what about the sort of the patient education, you know, maybe cyber education? Let's say you know they have a, a pacemaker or some sort of medical device that they have they connect to their own uh, home network. Uh, but once if their home network is is, is infected, um, where does that come into play? It's it's definitely another challenge for us. And you know, we, we saw with the pandemic you know, the rapid deployment of telemedicine, telehealth platforms, and of course our natural evolution toward stay at home um, alternatives, you know, keeping the patient at home is seen as a desirable goal anyway. That was fast forwarded with the, with the pandemic, um, but technologies were rolled out in a hurry. And, you know, we in, in the cybersecurity industry understand that kind of risks that can go along with that. And I think we also understand the level of maturity and cyber savviness, if you will, inside of most people's homes is not what one needs to uh, properly shore up defences. So that's, that's another whole area of challenge for us. Another interesting um, dimension here is 
what is the role of the physician? So if you if you think about going to meet with your physician, perhaps you're going to be um, a, the recipient of, of, of a pacemaker, you'll be informed of the risks, right? Informed consent. So there'll be a risk with the surgery and there'll be a risk with this and that. But nobody's informing anyone right now of the potential cybersecurity um, risks. And if the patient should be informed of those risks, who should deliver that information? You know, is it, is it an expert in cyber that sort of trots into the room and talks about it for five minutes and leaves? Is it the physician? Do we now need physicians to be trained up in this space? So that's another, um, and I'll, I'll be frank with you, we haven't figured it out yet. We're not sure what the right answer is to that yet, but certainly something that's being talked about. Yeah, these are very, very interesting discussion points, Justine. And and, and you know the um, you, you mentioned telehealth or t- telemedicine, and you know, that obviously really took off during the pandemic. Um, is that something? Well, I guess this is sort of a two part question. A is that something that will persist after after the pandemic? Like, will we, will we see levels like drop in the use of telemedicine, or will we keep seeing more of that? And so, sort of second part to that question is, did the let's say you know let's say the healthcare industry did they were they able to, to perform sufficient due diligence from a risk perspective on things like telehealth um I, my personal opinion is abs- absolutely telemedicine and telehealth is here to stay i think we've all appreciated um the benefits that that a telehealth alternative can bring to us so i don't think that's going anywhere right now a lot of the telemedicine platforms are really focused on wearable technologies monitoring equipment not so much the remote administration of medicine Um, so it's more about a data gathering exercise than anything else from the home right now and i feel reasonably confident that with security best practices we can protect that data Um, it's when we sort of get to the next stage with remote you know robotic surgeries and the remote delivery of medicine where i think the scenarios get a little scarier and we're probably going to see more remote administration of networks inside of patient homes simply because i don't think it's reasonable to expect your average patient to be able to lockdown defenses to the level necessary to really protect that infrastructure. Um, and then within, when it comes to due diligence, it depends. We've got some larger healthcare delivery organisations that are very well resourced and absolutely there's a, um, a everything from uh, due diligence during the procurement of technologies through to the deployment and administration has a risk assessment element to it, but it's the it's the smaller healthcare delivery organisations that have not yet figured out how to resource cybersecurity that that remains a gap for us. And uh, I've, uh, as we drive down sort of the uh, home stretch, I have two more questions for you, Justine. Um, one is, you know, we've, we've seen just, um, at least in, in news, you know, cr- crippling um, stories of, of ransomware hitting uh, various healthcare institutions. As an example, in, in Ireland, you know, their entire healthcare system was, was, was crippled. Um, it, is that something that you foresee happening over like the next several years? Is that, is that gonna be something that just won't go away? Or is there, gonna, is there a stronger call to action to have greater resilience uh, in making sure that those types of least crippling attacks um, no longer happen? I think we've got a few things in play. Um, first of all, the role of um, cyber risk insurance as a, as a mitigation, if you will, for, for these attacks has, um, 
broadened the conversation around our exposures at the executive level within our healthcare institutions. This is a good thing. Um, we've got cyber criminals taking advantage of the fact that these hospitals must have uptime and availability as a priority. And therefore, when an institution is brought to its knees, it will do what it takes to get that hospital back up and running. And unfortunately, that has meant paying a ransom. So that's, I think, helps sort of explain how we got to this place. Um, I, I, I definitely am seeing a maturity, a growing maturity when it comes to improving our resiliency. But I don't think that these, these um, cyber criminals are going to let up until it's no longer a source of income. And that's going to involve, involve shifts in regulation and shifts in the way that our cyber risk insurance industry works. And, um, of course, just making it harder to the point that the return on investment is no longer there for these guys. Uh, just, yeah, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. I mean, you're, you're just a wealth of knowledge, and I think we could easily speak for two or three hours just, just on this topic. Um, uh, uh, for our listeners and viewers um, who want to learn more about MedSec or even have a conversation with you, what's the best way of reaching you? Um, well, look, you can you can reach me at Justine Bone at MedSec.com, and I'm on, on LinkedIn. You can check out our website. Um, I'm also on Twitter, and uh, yeah, I, I welcome the conversation. I I tell you, it's it's quite unusual to be focused um, within this industry on a singular vertical, but um, the, the 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 great thing about healthcare is that the it, it, this resonates with absolutely every single one of us, right? This, these vulnerabilities hit home for all of us and our parents and our grandparents and our kids. All of us identify with um, the potential impact to our own selves because of problems with security in the healthcare industry. So I think that um, if there's anyone vertical that we might see attracting talent, going into the next couple of years. It's this industry, by goodness, we need it. So if anybody's looking to, to, to hone in their cybersecurity knowledge and skills on an industry that needs help, that has a meaningful impact on all of us, it's, it's healthcare. So please do reach out, we are hiring. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a great way to, to end it, Justine. Th th thank you again so much for such a, a brilliantly amazing conversation and the insight. That was absolutely fantastic. Th thank you again. Appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Dominic. And again, a, a note to our loyal listeners and viewers, uh, that would uh, wrap up today's episode with uh, Justine Bone. Hope you enjoyed listening and or watching it. Uh, for previous episodes, please do check out the Cybersecurity Matters uh, uh, YouTube page and or on your favorite podcasting platform. But until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll catch you again on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. Mm -hmm.